Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This is a crowd podcast. He'll beat him every day of the week, twice on Sunday. He fed him to Deontay Wilder. What makes the perfect sparring partner? I want Deontay to be fighter of the year. The best sparring partner you could actually have. Sounds like The Shining. He's not even a small heavyweight to me. Let's get on with it. I'm George. He's Deck. Hello. It's the George Groves Boxing Club. Good morning, Deck. Good morning, St. George Groves. How you doing? I'm well. How are you? I'm really good. I'm really, really good. I've had a good week. Have you? Yep. What you done? Fish has survived. Yeah. Half of fish, they're still in there. They like to bury themselves now in the sand. I did, I was the first, I mean, it t- the guy told me in the shop, because they like to bury themselves, and I was like, I get that. Cost of living crisis. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, it's all stay, getting on top. Stay warm or whatever, I don't know. And they're the, you know, they're the biggest biggest fish in a, in, in a small tank. Tank, pond, yeah. You know, so they, they don't need to hide, Dick, but they like to. Maybe they maybe play a game with each other. Yeah. It's quite fun. I, I used to do it at the beach with the kids sometimes, you know bury yourself in the sand yeah it takes a while it's a lot of prep what have you been up to deck i've been away i've been on holiday have you lovely holiday where'd you go tenerife nice safe pair of hands tenerife yeah i got some family there i've been going for years can't go wrong with tenerife i can tell you you got the look it's always hot yeah i've yeah it was a hot week fry ups all the time you know what tenerife's like i'm sure have you been before i've been tenerife yeah, yeah. once it was can't go nice. wrong. really nice yeah yeah lovely a couple of issues with it. One, you can't, for love nor money, find a normal-sized packet of crisps. If you leave England, you just get those big ones all everywhere you go. Lays. All Lays, yeah. and generally paprika-flavoured. Yeah. Like a kilo of paprika Lays is always sort of ubiquitous in Tenerife. Okay. And, on the subject of snackage, the Maxibon. Are you aware of the Maxibon? No. As a concept? Maxibon's are ice cream. One half is like, like a sort of ice cream sandwich, sort of a cookie situation. Yeah. And then that... Back half is like ice cream encased in chocolate. It's a triumph. Like uh, genuinely, I'm not it even. Sounds t- it. Yeah, not even top spinning it. It's a triumph of modern society. It's, it's incredible. I don't. You, I've never seen one in this country. What do you think we can't handle it? I don't know. Yeah, maybe it would cause. Uh, but whatever it is, someone somewhere has gone. No, they can't have these. Only in Tenerife and France and Spain and stuff. Yeah. So I wonder if we should import some. We give it a go. I mean, I don't know. Maybe could brand them. Will it pass the 
health and food standards Who cares? in the UK. Who we're cares? Get them in. Is anyone even checking these days? Yeah, true. Yeah. Probably not. So if anyone, actually, if anyone knows where I could get a max bond in this country, tell me because I've got withdrawal symptoms. All right. Yeah. And anyone's ever eaten one will know what I mean. They're incredible. It sounds great. I mean, did you bring any back for everyone else? Yeah, but they melted. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we've got a guest. <laughs> we've got a guest. He's talking about sparring and crisps. No, oh, just sparring. I bet he loves crisps though. He does. He looks like a crisp man. Yeah. We have to send him a packet. It'll take a while to get there, but. <laughs> send him a max bond. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Who is it? In a little freeze bag. It's uh, it's Malik Scott. Oh, I love Malik. I know he's your he's, he's your man. man. He's yeah. in. He's in for deck. deck. He's, he's in the club. Deck is delivering. Yeah. He's uh, he signed him up. Transatlantic. We are. Yeah. Now. We are across the pond with a very good talker. A really interesting guy. I'm mm. excited about this one. He's going to talk about sparring, and he's sparred oh, everyone. He sparred them all. But he's still sparring now. Yeah. And he's for, a trainer. And trainer for the one and only Deontay Wilder, who fights. Very soon. Very soon this weekend. Should we get him in? Get him in. Let's do it. Right, Deck, we're all ready. This is our first transatlantic guest. Mm. I mean, he looks so cool. He's sitting there. He's he's just pulled out a cigar, believe it or not. Yeah, I I, I asked for permission or didn't I? (laughs) Oh, he did, he did. We got Malik Scott on. (laughs) And you've been busy, you've been busy today. I'm in Tuscaloosa, Alabama right now, training Deontay Wilder for his first fight back against Robert Herlanis, who's a very dangerous opponent. Um, Today was a sparring day. It also was a day for Fox to come in and do the behind the scenes stuff and everything. And um, we had a great day of sparring. We boxed about eight and nine rounds uh, for four different guys. Deontay is feeling good. Uh, Then after that, we did some strength work. Then uh, after that, I took the guys to go and eat. And then after that, I took all the sparring guys back to the hotel. Then I rushed back here, you know, to get to you guys. And um, just a life, man, living this like pugilist teacher lifestyle. And I'm loving it, brother. Mm. That's it, a day mm-hmm. in the life of Malik Scott. Mm-hmm. A very busy, a busy schedule. Very busy schedule. Did so the camp. So Fox were in today to film some promo behind the scenes stuff um, for the big fight ahead. Did they get the chance to film the sparring? No, 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 no. no sparring is ever filmed we all know how that go in the boxing game like you know it's, it's, you got some guys that don't mind it but you got guys like myself guys like Deontay the whole team here we like to keep things sacred like that and um so the camera crew was allowed in the gym but it was allowed it, it wasn't no sparring allowed to be recorded and um I think that's fair and I think that should be done a lot of times like you know depending on the fighter and depending on the circumstance. And it also depends on, George, how big the fight is. You know what I mean? So when guys are coming up in their career, they don't really mind when certain things is leaked out, sparring, et cetera. But, you know, the, the more you climb up this mountain of success and at the elite highest level, you like to be more sacred and you like things to come as an element of a surprise on fight night. So, No, I agree. I like I like that about training like if you got if you're doing something well then why share it with the world you know if you're doing something the best then keep your secrets to yourself it's that not knowing it's that not knowing not seeing which makes it that much more fascinating yeah it, it leaves it leaves a mystique and like i said an element of surprise a lot of fighters are, from what i've learned being in this game so long a lot of fighters are driven off of an element of surprise when it comes to their preparation but then you got some fighters that they like to be seen all the way through preparation all the way up until fighting and it doesn't bother it just all depends on the individual fighters are the special people and I always say fighters are the spe- special people because you because you come across so many different personalities you'll come across one fighter that he likes things done this way and i remember as a kid coming up under Fred 
Isaiah Jenkins, Harold Knight, Emmanuel Stewart, they used to always tell me that Malik, when you get older, you know, you're going to be a trainer someday. You're going to be teaching. You're going to notice that it's a total difference in training smaller guys and training big guys. Heavyweights have a totally different mentality than anybody smaller. They really move to the beat of their own drum. They could come across very secretive. They're very alert outside the ring. And it's, it's, it's just an experience just watching all of this materialize from when I was a kid and having my own career and things going my way and things not going my way to now, you know, I'm training the future two-time heavyweight champion of the world. And to add on to that, George, I just left Dubai for seven weeks and I was with Alexander Usyk, mm-hmm. who, who I've had almost 11 camps or something like that with now. And I spent a lot of time with uh, Usyk in camp and his preparation for AJ. I enjoyed everything with that. I always have a good time with him. Uh, all the guys that was there, I was training everybody. I took Gerald Washington there to box Usyk. He, he did very good. And um, I watched Usyk put himself through hell and I watched him do everything uncomfortable. And I watched him cross all T's and dot all I's in his preparation. And when that ninth round came, when he was in a tab in trouble against AJ, I was calm, cool and collective. I was like, ah. Oh. And when it was, George, it was, I was so used to him seeing him go dark in preparation that it wasn't nothing for me to see him hurt in that ninth round or whatever that those moments was. Literally, that ninth round was played over and over and over in training camp. It's like he knew he would face that and did everything in his power to be ready for it when it happened. And it happened, and he passed that test with flying colors. Has you done any sparring with um, Usyk? You've been, out, you've been with him 11 times. So you sparred him as well? Or was this oh, yeah, I've been boxing. Oh, no, 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 no. I've been boxing Sasha for years. I was boxing him just now in Dubai. I was boxing him, then I would get out the ring and train and then hop in Gerald Washington corner to spar against him. Then I will hop in uh, Alex and I will hop in all the other guys who were sparring. I would get in a corner. So this time it was very um, intriguing for me and, a, and a, an incredible learning experience to me because I would actually get to box him. Now, don't forget, he's at the highest level in his career right now. When I was boxing before, he wasn't heavyweight champion of the world. He was a uh, cruiserweight champion. I would box him and then hop out the ring and then coached against him. Just coming from a, a, a sponge and a knowledgeable mindset that that sharpened me up so much. And I remember taking notes and taking notes and taking notes every day, then film study. And so it became a thing that things I couldn't get off on them physically myself. I would tell the guys or I would get in Gerald Washington corner and Gerald Washington would be able to execute it just because stylistically those guys would take more chances. Those guys don't think as much as me. And sometimes that could cost me against Usyk and he'll like, you know, he'll do his pop shot thing. And I'm like, how did he get that shot off on me? He's one of the hardest working guys I've ever been around, not just in boxing, but in, in, in just period. I've never seen too many people work harder than uh, Alexander Usyk. That was in Dubai, wasn't it? That that one. Tell us about the spot in um in Ukraine where he used he used to take you because it sounded like a crazy place where he would train. Yeah, that was uh, the, the, uh it was Keith, and what was crazy about that is uh, uh the, I remember the first time I went, I stayed in the Hilton Hotel, and in the Hilton it was about twenty six floors. So when I checked into the hotel, I landed, I checked in. It was the same day as the WBC convention. But when I checked in, there was no one in the whole hotel besides me and the staff. So for like, we'll say 12 days, I was only one in this whole hotel that they was making sure I was good. They was, you know, still cooking breakfast. They still was running their businesses, but they was only doing it for one person for like 12 days. <laughs> Sounds so like the shining. Yeah, something like that. So like as days went on, business people start to come in and then, you know, things became regular. But every day... Uh, Sasha would have a driver come and get me, have a driver take me over there to the gym. And then the gym that he was training at was like a, a, a mini zoo 
when you go first, first you go 20, 30 miles all the way into these woods. When you go into the woods, you see wolves, you see what other animals they have there, goats. But it was just all these different animals. Then you go into this small little room and this small little room, I'm not saying this to exaggerate, the, the, the room that he got prepared for the Marat fight, the, the room that he got, you notice I'm not saying the gym, the room that he got prepared for for these fights. Soon as you go in it, the room is the ring. That's how small the ring was. He will box seven to nine guys back to back, all 15, 16, 17 rounds, three or four times a week. And then a small ring. And then the last week of training, he go into a big ring. Boxing Alexander Usyk in a big ring is uh, is grim. It becomes very, it's, <laughs> it's so grim. It, it seemed like his punches become harder. It seemed like his angles become shorter and faster. It seemed like his head movement gets faster. It seemed like the distance in between his feet get even more proper. And that's because, once again, what do he do? To get to that place where he's able to do everything he wanted to do and feel comfortable, he give himself nine to 12 weeks of uncomfortability. So by the time he get to a, a fight or by the time he get to a big ring or by the time he get to one or two spar partners, oh, he's on fire. Before Usyk, I thought David Hay was the most psychotic, hard training fighter I've ever been around. Watching David Hay train, and I caught him at the end, it's like, it's no way. Like, I understand and train hard, but God, this dude, and muscles coming out of muscles. Guys really put the work in, man. They eat, sleep, and, you know, this is like more than a job to them, especially these guys that's really fighting for their countries. I'm noticing, I remember the, when the war and all of that was going on, and I brought it up to uh, uh, Usyk as soon as I got to camp, man. I was like, yeah, man, I heard what y'all going through. He explaining everything to me. And I will never forget at the beginning of camp, he looked at me, looking, he was like, he used that as drive. It's going to be very hard to beat him. But I think if you don't have a one hit a quitter to knock Usyk out, if you don't have like a Deontay Wilder type of power where you could just have the ability to flatten him, I don't know who's going to beat him. He'll beat AJ if they fought seven days a week. He'll beat him every day of the week, twice on Sunday. It's not because AJ is bad. It's because sometimes you're fighting a fighter that is just that good. But in boxing, it comes across like it's blasphemous to say that. It's just, you know, boxing is so sexy, man, because one, one minute... Deontay Wilder knocked out Gerald Washington. Gerald Washington lost to Adam Krasnacki. Adam Krasnacki was knocked out by Robert Herlanius. Gerald Washington knocked out Robert Herlanius, who beat Adam, who knocked out Gerald Washington. So this is not the game to be like, he could beat him because he beat him. Boxing doesn't run like that. Boxing goes like this, not like that. That's too proper for boxing. In your eyes, what makes the perfect sparring partner? In my opinion, it depends on who you're bringing them in for. So we'll say Deontay Wilder, in my opinion, the hardest punch of history in the sport. So the first thing you have to look at is durability. You don't have to look at who's fast. Who's, no, you have to look at durability, who can possibly take a shot if they had to take one, who is willing to give a shot back. Um, and the mentality of guys, sometimes you get guys that come to work and sometimes you get guys that they're doing just enough. And sometimes even guys that can do just enough is a good look because they may can do just enough for a round or two. But sometimes that round or two is so imperative because that may be the look you need for your guy. Sometimes it's about height. For instance, I'll give you an example. When we fought Fury the first, second and third time, Tyson Fury is very, very hard to get sparring for Tyson Fury. So how do you do it? You have to get five or six imitations of a Tyson Fury. You have to get someone tall, then you may have to get a light heavyweight that's fast. 
then you may have to get someone that like to sit down, but then you may have to get another one, a guy that can go left and right very well. He can't just go to his right good and go to his left. Okay, you got to get someone like Fury. So when you put all those guys together, then you get close to a Tyson Fury because sometimes some guys are so stylistically unique that you can't get sparring for them. But no style is so unique that it can't be made up out of four or five different guys. No style. And we're in a time now when where instant gratification is a real drug. But it's really not for me because I'm into correct and slow instead of fast and wrong. I'm into, no, 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 let's slow everything down so it could be done correct and not let's just do something fast because it looked right, but it's wrong. I'm extremely compassionate about Deontay too because he's my friend, he's like my brother. So it's like, it's coming from a teacher standpoint, a compassionate brother caring standpoint. So I'm really on in this. And plus, I just know it's so much Deontay can do. So, and I want the world to see that he's more than just some heavyweight that can just punch because I've seen him box. I've seen him use educated jabs. I've seen him use incredible feints. I've seen him take nice walks and come back and turn his shoulders. I've seen all of this. I just want the world to see it. And I'm obsessed with the world to see it. And I'm driven for him to become two-time heavyweight champion of the world. And if I've considered an overthinker, I'm totally fine with that. Slow and right is better than fast and wrong. Always, 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 always. And, And it was David Hay who said to me, you know, uh, it's not practice makes perfect. It's perfect practice makes perfect. You know, so if you can do it, do it right, do it properly. And he used to invest a lot in his sparring partners as well. He'd have guys come over, oh. and um, he might only get one or two rounds out of each 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 dude. But and then they chop and change. I mean, it was some of the best gigs these sparring partners could ever get. You know, they might be over here for might be on a thousand dollars a week or whatnot, living in London. So it's um it's a gift. But I, I like um the way you described different sparring partners. And then that guy who might be 10 wins, six losses off the radar, never heard of it, turns out to be the best sparring partner you could actually have. It happens all the time. Because they don't a lot of time they don't really have an ego. Um mm-hmm. they don't really have much backing. So they have to come and give you good work. Cause if they don't, they won't get booked, they they won't come back. They yeah, won't earn right. money. So they're coming with their all. And also, if they put in a real good, a real good show in, there might be a there might be a recommendation or a referral or something, and then they might get some action and, and get and get a fight. So mm-hmm. um, I've seen I, that happen too. I've seen guys come to camp, hold their own, and and end up getting put on the undercard of the person who can't be came there to spar. Boxing is is incredible, man, because it goes so many ways. Like you could be thinking one way about yourself and then 10 opportunities come up from this way. Malik, has your mindset changed a little bit in sparring now? Do you spar with the mindset of a fighter or spar with the mindset of a trainer? That's a very good question. I spar with the mindset of a trainer now. And I've never been extremely active uh, with punch output. I've never been extremely active. I was, I'm safety first, I'm defense first. But now when I'm doing these, uh, sparring sessions like with Alexander Usyk, it, it it just it meant the world to me to be able to box him, mm-hmm. been able to box him, been hot right out of the ring with my boxing stuff on, and now I'm coaching Gerald Washington, sparring him for three or four or five or six rounds. Then when Gerald Washington get out the ring, I'm coaching a uh, big undefeated Alex from Ukraine for four or five rounds. Then when Alex get out the ring, I'm coaching big Sultan from Kazakhstan, who's an undefeated, real big, strong guy. At one time, I was going from camp to camp to camp to camp. That can't be. It's very consumed because even when I'm in California, I have other heavyweights. Honestly, guys, I'm not. I'm just not 26 no more, too. So as 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 you're at, as you say, you're not 26 no more, but you're still sparring these these 
great fighters. And it always starts, each one of your stories starts off with you saying, I got in first and I got out. Why don't you get in last? And does that ever happen, Malik? Do you go, right, oh, yeah. okay, John, I want you to just work his body, right, for three rounds and just mm-hmm. you know, really put it on him, try and slow him down. And then the next dude comes in and say, <laughs> back him up. And then by the time you get in there with Usyk, he's already done 15 rounds. He's nice and tired. You want to know something, George? This camp, this camp was so hard for him, right? It, it was grim. I know people seeing pictures and videos. Trust me, behind the scenes, it was a grim training camp for Usyk. It was very grim. So it was so grim that to have me last would mean he would have went through so much. But then after he would deal with me and my technicalities and have to react to my feints and react to my speed and my fast jab and trying to steal on him, once those rounds was over with me, then he would have to get right back to the grim work with the other big heavyweights there that just was coming right to him and trying to, you know, take everything out of him. And he dealt with it pretty good, man. I tell people all the time, you got to give him a lot of credit, Lucy, because he's smaller than a small heavyweight. He's not even a small heavyweight to me. He's smaller than a small heavyweight. I was talking to uh, a very good, good prospect. Uh, you guys are going to hear a lot about him. Stephen Shaw. Remember this name. Stephen Shaw. This is 16, 17 and 0, 14 knockouts, just signed with top rank. I always, this is a prime example. We always use Stephen Shaw with Deontay. He keep Deontay alert. He's a sharpshooter. He know how to faint. He's a speed fighter. Then he know how to slow it down. He's good for any style you're fighting. I got a saying that I say, George, when I'm doing my seminars and what I like to tell people that I'm teaching is the world doesn't owe you nothing. So, Malik, well, what does that have to do with boxing? I just look at it like if you're punching on someone, who are you to think you don't have to be back on defense after you punch people? You think you're that powerful. You think you are such whatever it is you think you're that fast. You're that cool. You look that good that people don't want to punch you back. So you don't have to have humility enough to have defense. In a sense, it's taking things for granted. It's taking your opponent for granted. It's taking boxing for granted. Show strong humility. The world doesn't stop just because you hit people. So I kind of connect the dots with that. And I always tell my students and people I'm doing seminars with that the world doesn't owe you nothing. And Stephen Shaw is a prime example of that after his last fight. He, he fought a guy that wasn't on his level and he treated him as such in the most important way, but I was very impressed by it. So I want you guys to keep an eye out for this young man. His name's Stephen Shaw. He's out here. He boxed Deontay today. He's been boxing Deontay since 2017. He's had some promotional managerial issues, but top rank just signed him. I really can't wait, you know, really keep an ear off of him because he's going to be making a lot of noise. I and personally, I always think that, you know, sparring is the closest thing you're going to get to a fight. You know, you can do the, the focus pad mitts, which is really important where you get, where you can do a lot of teaching and then you've got to take that stuff into the sparring for real practical stuff. And then you will see the way that people respond to you. Mm. What are your, your thoughts on sparring in that respect? Do you think that when you see a guy who's, who's getting all this stuff off in a real fight, would he have had to have been able to drill that in sparring? Is that where he would have learned them skills? This is my opinion. I think certain fighters have to over-practice for them to become close to, not even perfect, to be close to good. Obviously, then you have your fighters that have natural ability and they train hard. So it's almost like they practice a lot and they have all this natural ability. It's like, it's, it's no way really for them to miss. It's just, it's, it's an individual thing, George. It really is, man. I've seen guys go into the gym and look like Sugar Ray Leonard, then get up under the lights and look like, shit. I, I've had great days. I've had great training camps and get under the lights and look like dog shit. And guys like Stephen Shaw, 
he doesn't go to everyone's training camp, but what he do do is he stay in the most dangerous training camps whenever it is he do go. Like he's always, he loved boxing Deontay and it's not, be, he loved boxing Deontay because he has to be on point. He has to be careful. Deontay make, holds him accountable because if, if you don't, you know, you get caught and that type of power you just can't play around with. And um, sometimes, uh, George, I don't know about you, but if a, if a fighter go in the ring and literally knock somebody out, there was a time, and I could be like, oh, wow, man, that guy's good. He knocked that guy out, boom. But my vision now, I look at how everything is done. It's it's it's, it's about the hows. It's about the whys. You know what I mean? When I really get into the, the mystery. Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of Deontay Wilder knockouts that I saw where, particularly at the start of his career, when these were guys who he would, he would be pretty comfortably. But he didn't do it in a calm and composed way. It was a little bit frantic. And it was like, you know it's not you know it's not a surprise for him and you're like why don't you just take it take a little bit more time and get that really nice clean crisp ko rather than bomb rush the guy in the corner and maybe land a few slappy shots and yeah yeah it's over but it could have been a little bit it's better. like ah i wish it was better and i got the prime example for you did you understand this you ever see a fight right and you're like this guy is winning but that's all he's doing this guy right here is controlling the tempo of the fight though and it leaves you like in a little bit of a limbo because you're like, yeah, this guy is winning maybe because he's throwing six more punches around, but this guy is controlling the action. His ring generalship is more on point. That's how I view fights. It's not about like who's literally winning on the card because I'll be in the fourth round of a fight and I'll be seeing the ninth round. Because sometimes a guy may be doing so much, so much good stuff. You say to yourself, I wonder, can he keep this up? This happens to all of us. Fans, casual fights, whatever. You could look at a fight and be like, if he could keep this up, he may win this. If he could keep this up. And we're saying that because the other guy is still looking dangerous. So, so a lot of times it's not about who's winning the fight. It's about who's controlling the fight. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What's your thought process, Malik, on sparring? Do you think it's important to win rounds in sparring or is it more important to get off some technical stuff that you might be drilling as a game plan for a particular fight? There's benefits to both, isn't there? There's obviously... It's benefits to both. I was about to say that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's benefits to both. But I think when you're sparring, you should be working on your strategic game plan for your fight. I think when you're sparring, you shouldn't go in there all out the blaze coming from an egotistical standpoint. I think all boxers, regardless of the level that their sparring partners is at, can get good work out of anybody. I don't care if someone have no fights at all. They just big. 
They don't really have no fundamentals at all. Guess what that gets you ready for boxing a guy like that? A very unorthodox fighter, a, very, a fighter that may be wild, a fighter that may be dangerous, but he's not fundamentally sound. He's just awkward and raw. There's awkward and you can see raw fighters that's successful. You have to prepare for them. How do you prepare for them? You have to get fighters that may be okay, but they're a little raw. They're a little unorthodox. They're awkward. They squint from punches. They come across scary. They really not. The eyes is open like a deer in the headlight. Sometimes you need those looks to get ready for certain guys. You just do. You know what I mean? It was at it was at one time that when you put in five guys together to make up for one guy or four guys to make up to one guy, sometimes it's good to throw an awkward, non-experienced, strong, scary type of fighter in the mix of all of that. It, especially when you train to someone like Deontay, because there's times where Deontay have seen that awkwardness, that fidginess. So you spar with guys like that. So it's nothing new to them when they fight. Everything counts in boxing, George, everything. These things sound very minute. These things can sound very over-exaggerated. But I just think crossing your T's and dotting your I's is a key, a key form in boxing. It just is. There's no getting around it. You have to be prepared. Preparation has to be at the, at the top of the food chain. It just do. And that don't mean just hitting heavy bags. That don't mean just doing speed bags. That don't mean just sparring and doing fancy pad work. That means having humility and doing things like stepping to your left for 14 minutes straight. Step into your right for 19 ministry. Why are you stepping to your right for 19 ministry? Because most fighters are uncomfortable going to their right side. So you could say, well, I'll cross that bridge when I get to it. Well, when that bridge come, if you haven't practiced it, you won't even get to cross it because someone would take you out because you can't fight going to that side. But these are things that people like to call my good friend from A Million Styles of Boxing, Barry Robinson. He has a thing that he says. There's no such thing as beginner drills. There's no fighter that's so elite that he should be above a drill. There's no fighter that's so good that he should look at a drill that's simple as stepping to your left and stepping to your right as, uh, uh, man, I don't need that, man. I've just, no, you do need that. Because when I see you going to your right, your right hand is down off the phone and you're crossing your left foot over to get to your right side. Someone at the highest level is going to take advantage of that. And then you're going to say, the, the narrative of the story is going to be, oh, I'll be back. You lose something, you win some. No, you didn't have to lose that. That came because you didn't take accountability of the small things. This happens all the time, George. You just do. How many guys are you seeing now, George, that still get hit with left hooks while they're throwing left hooks? <laughs> like, and that's what I mean. Like, the world doesn't owe you none. You, you, you're so confident. You're so egotistical that when you're throwing your hook, you're saying, forget this hand. It's going to be right here. And I'm going to turn and I'm just going to go. This ain't a Rocky movie. You have to be accountable. You have to be responsible. So you're telling guys... I want this hand up the whole time and I want you to step into your right. They'll do it for two or three minutes, but then after six, eight, nine minutes, guys start getting bored. You know what I mean? The vast majority of heavyweights do less sparring than the smaller weights because they're so much bigger. It's more wear and tear, more chance of injury. So is it more important to be doing this other prep work so that you get the sparring? Is the pressure on essentially for, for sparring with heavyweights? They need to get it right more so than say a middleweight or a lightweight because Essentially, they, they usually end up sparring more rounds. This where I don't overthink. This where I do simplify things. If anything can happen in the boxing ring, prepare for it. If people can throw left hooks, your defense for left hooks should get that much better. At one time, Roy Jones, I know this is going to... Don't forget, guys, I'm, I, I'm not into the sensationalism. I don't care how good someone is. When I film study and I see fighters, I don't see their race. I don't see their religion. I don't care who they're dating. I don't care where they go out to eat. I see craft. 
Roy Jones at one time was hitting guys with eight, nine, 10, 11 hooks after they were film studying him for months of preparation for him. How is that happening? It's not because he's that good or he's that fast. No, 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 no. This guy has a good left hook. Your defense for left hook should get that much better. I know he's going to do it. It's almost like we'll even say Muhammad Ali and Joe Frazier. Smoking Joe Frazier is known for left hooks. He's hitting the greatest of all time with left hooks and knocking them down. But then when you see the greatest of all time dancing and training, his right hand is here. I'm sorry. His hand is here. So, of course, he's. I know that that's hard on the ear sometimes because we all love Muhammad Ali. We all love DeRoy Jones or whoever the fighters is. So people don't want to look at the mistakes that they made for certain things to happen to him because it looked like, well, I don't want to say that because because what? Are you in this to get better or are you in this to just idol worship or are you in this to come from a fanatic standpoint? I'm in this to get better as a teacher. I'm in this to get better. So I, I'm going to have people lives in my hand and no man is above the craft. It's the craft then fighters. It's the craft then promoters and all that. It's the craft then everything is under. And if the craft is not being done right, I'm going to point it out. And if, I, and if I'm fighting your fighter, I'm going to try my best to make sure we take advantage of all the loopholes. One, one thing that piqued my interest there was you, you mentioned you sparred Lennox Lewis. You must have been young then. And was that in the crunk? What, what was the situation? Oh, I, was, I was a baby. You want to hear something? He was getting ready for the first time I boxed Lennox. He was getting ready for Tyson. And I weighed 111 pounds. But my 111 pounds is not, it looks like if Deontay weighed 111 pounds. My 111 pounds is looking like a puny kid that looked like he don't know. Like it's very, very weakly looking. I got in there with Lennox and I never will forget him. And Stewart walked over to me in the corner right before the bell said, then he said, Malik, be careful and be alert because he's coming. And I'm like, oh, fucking hell. <laughs> <laughs> and he did exactly that. You know how when you touch gloves and then fighters take a walk and then they box? Lennox, he didn't even touch glove. He moved my glove, came at me for round after I'm talking, it's the worst ass whooping ever. He hit me so hard with a right uppercut. I, I don't know what this experience is called, George. Maybe you can help me out. <laughs> I'm sure I can. <laughs> he hit me with a right up because it was so hard that, okay, later that night when I got out the ring, I was thinking about it like, oh, I got to get that back. And I remember after the sparring, I was like, I told her, I was like, you got to let me box him again because that's on my conscience. And when I went to the room that night, when I was sleeping, I was sleeping, sleeping, and then I was dreaming, then woke up. The shot woke me up. I had a dream that I got <laughs> hit with the shot again, and it woke me up, and I was in sweats and everything. So the next time we boxed, I said, oh, I'm putting the skates on. It's Peggy Flemings. I'm moving all around. I'm John Hall. So I didn't have a great day, but I had a good day against Lennox. And, you know, that meant the world. But that was in Brookdale Caesars. That was when he was getting ready for Mike Tyson. He took to me and actually brought me back, him and Harold Knight. And he brought me back for his fight against Kurt Johnson, which was canceled. And Vitaly got the call. So I was looking for the Vitaly, the Mike Tyson and the Rockman 2 fight. I believe I believe the Rockman 2 fight. Yeah. So it was during that time. And you ain't had no nightmares since. And I never know what that was. I know what it was. It was so on my mind that I fell into a deep sleep and was dreaming about it. But the dream, all I kept doing was getting hit with the uppercut. And the last one, and you know, in a dream, everything is like dumb and exaggerated. So the last one, like he winded it up and it hit me like, boom. And I woke up like, oh my God, in cold sweats. It was, uh, it was, it was a hell of experience in the ring. And then literally that night, waking up in cold sweats about it was a whole nother thing. I was so happy when that camp was over. It's like, fuck it, Al. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, 
Now you're the other side of the ropes watching the sparring. How do you react when your fighter in the ring isn't doing what he's supposed to be doing? Is not listening maybe or just getting frustrated or tensing up or just not following the game plan? How do you cope with that? How I cope when I'm coaching someone and sparring is not going our way or he may be taking to the game plan how I wanted to. I'm looking at it. Okay, this is a time for growth because I'm not expecting perfection, not in sparring. See what I mean? Slow and correct instead of fast and wrong. I'm not expecting perfection. I'm expecting adjustments. So my whole thing is if we're having a tough time in sparring and then I give you instructions and you're able to make the adjustments according to the instructions I give you, that's a big win because that's something that we're going to face in the fight. It's for sure. Things ain't always going to go your way. You have to figure things out to beat guys. You have to figure things out to knock guys out. And that's what, to me, that's what make Floyd Mayweather the TB at the top of the food chain. His, his ability to adjust, his, regardless of the style, you have to figure things out. That's why Wilder Ortiz, too, is my favorite Deontay Wilder. I don't care about, you know, him and Ortiz having that great fight the first time going back and forth. I'm not with it. I want Deontay to be fighter of the decade, not in fight of the decade. I want Deontay to be fighter of the year, not in fight of the year. I'm not in I, like, you know, that's cool to going back and forth, getting knocked down, knocking someone's down. He's the he's a warrior like no other. But if I, if I could have him my way. Like I said, I want him to be fighter of the decade, not in fight of the decade, being fighter of the year and not in fight of the year. So that's my goal. Or I wouldn't say my goal. That's just that's a sentiment that I'm into. Like that's 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 what I'm driven for. Things like that, because when boxing is over, it's over. I think I'm extremely soft when it comes to like boxing and caring. And I remember after the Fury three fight, I was doing a, a, a interview with Ellie setback and I, I just start fucking crying. And like just thinking about the heart Deontay showed, thinking about how watching these guys put it all on the line, me being a part of it, Deontay believing in me, Deontay going out on his shield like he always wanted. You know what I mean? I, I, you know, I can't help it. You know, that's just who I am when it comes to this because boxing saved my life. If it wasn't for boxing, I would have been a kid that was trying to be a follower. I would have been someone that would be doing things that I think is cool, but it really wasn't cool. I, I, would, I would just be all fucked up if it wasn't for this. So I take it, you know, I take it very seriously. Um, training Deontay is the most important job that I've ever had in my life. Um, I'm dedicated to it. And me being dedicated to it, it, it has me being dedicated as a teacher, still as a student, still as a, a open mind. I'm still a bookworm. I'm a geek when it comes to boxing. I am an extreme nerd. Um, I don't want to know it all. I want to be a know-it-all, but I want to know enough to pass knowledge to the ones that's coming after me. I think that's that's a wonderful thing to hear. Deontay could hear that now. He would be feeling blessed. I mean, you couldn't ask for any more from a guy in your corner. Deontay could like, go with me and spar all these rounds. This and after, and I'll come home to like, bro, that's it, man. Now you're going, you're listening, you're adjusted. He's like, bro, I got you. Yeah, don't make Deontay soft. He, Deontay no, needs to be a killer. Uh, no, he's um, not going for that soft shit at all, man. Yeah. <laughs> Leave that all up to me, man. That's Leave it. Leave it all up to me. Talking of soft shit, Maddie, we've, <laughs> we've, uh, we've started asking people, is there a music track that they would... Well, we don't need to know your ring walk tracks because we've heard them before, but is there a track on In The Gym that really gets you going? So we want to add a song to our playlist. Balance by uh, my favorite rock band, Future Islands. Um, my favorite alternative rock band is called Balance. It's actually a song that um, I've always loved, but I fell in love with after we lost to Fury the second time and me and Deontay uh, was in a real down state and he hired me 
And I promised him I would give him my all and I'll always be there for him as a brother, as a friend. And then, you know, rather boxing this over and we're going to give it our all and train hard. And this song is about patience and it's about no matter what, would you have balance in life? So this this band, Future Iron, I've loved them for years, over 10 years, play their music. One day I get a DM in the DM. He said, Malik, we're, we're coming to L.A., brother. If you're around, I would love to meet you. The next morning I pulled up to the gym. The band was out in front of the gym. I let him in. Um, I got to train them. I trained them to all my favorite songs of them. This is like, like this is when life is so magical moments like this. Uh, we exchanged information. Me and Sam, we talked two, three times a month. Um, he invited me out to come to some concerts. I couldn't go because I had to train and uh, travel. And uh, we just built a good rapport from that. And it, like stuff like that, I love when people inspire me. I'm very big on when people inspire me and they move me and move my life in ways where they don't even know. When I meet those people in life that have done that for me, oh, I'm not the shy guy. I run up to them and I give them the stories of what they did. I'm very overwhelming, actually, D, when people, <laughs> I can like turn someone off because I'm like, no, 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 you need to know what you did to me during this day. I was fucking depressed and your songs and your lyrics, you know, allow me to keep going. And I listen to it when I'm training. I have my kids listen to it. I want you to know your music has add value to the world. It has add value to my life. There's a song called Balance. It's about literally when things are dark in life or even when the sky turned dark, it's nothing to panic about because guess what? The next day is morning. It's a new day for you to start and still do whatever you want to do. And the beat, the way how the, the drummer just killed it, D, is a build up. And then the beat drop. Oh, it's a beautiful thing, man. But it's, <laughs> called, it's, called, it's, it's called Balance. Yeah. And it's by Future Iron. And I love it. We might not get we might have got a better explanation than that for any of I, our I, entries. I, I, I hope it got through, brother. See, I thought though, because George uh, Malik's a big Lana Del Rey fan. So I thought I mean, we might huge. get Lana Del Rey. If so it wasn't, good. if it wasn't, if it wasn't going to be Future Iron, it was going to be Lana Del Rey, Gods and Monsters. When he said the guys are outside the gym, I thought the story was going to end with he fed them to Deontay Wilder. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> guys, guys some sparring gloves. They're one of them type of bands that I'll go to another country just to see them and kick it with them because what they do for me spiritually is the kind of stuff that keep an individual like me going in life. Malik, I think we covered absolutely everything. And thanks for such a great podcast, great insight into sparring and everything that's going on with you. A absolutely, brother. Absolutely, brother. Who, who would have known? Absolutely, brother. I appreciate you guys for having me. And um, uh, I want to say something real quick. I always tell D this, but I want to tell him it again. I've been in this since I've been 12 years old. The way Declan goes about his journalism is throwback. He's quoting you word by word. He's not chasing clout. He's going slow and correct instead of fast and wrong. And that's something Declan do. And, and, and I always think about you, D, with this. I hope you never lose that, brother. And I don't care how fast the world is going, continue to be yourself because that's what separates you from those that's going fast and wrong and you're going slow and correct. Your way is the way, brother. You know what I mean? Oh, cheers. I really appreciate that. Absolutely, man. I can't go much faster anyway. I keep fucking trying. I can't, can't get off the floor. He's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, stalling on them line bikes. We've got these little he's bikes in London. Mm -hmm. and, yeah, I'm, I'm on them all the time. So. One of them. That's good, brother. <laughs> Deck. Ooh. I want to thank you. Yeah, that was delivery, wasn't it? That was delivery. Mm. That was really good. I knew he'd be good. 
Did I you? knew he'd be good. I first met him in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, when I was went and visited Wilder in a in training camp. Was you sparring that week as well? Yeah, yeah. I did. I was I was fine though, so I just was trying to do other stuff on the side because he couldn't lay a glove on me. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> we met in the Ram- Ramada Inn, Tuscaloosa. Look it up. Where else? Yeah. yeah. And we sat down for two hours, did an unbelievable interview on him. He's got about seven hundred tattoos, and he's he's clearly a very interesting bloke. Knows everything you want to know about boxing. And I think he's going to bring more in. You know, more yeah. more of those. Well, who who first? The heavyweights. So get yeah. Wilder in. Yeah. Or get Wilder in, and then uh, yeah. I think next time he comes in the UK, Malik, because he is over occasionally. We we'll get him in. We we'll get him in the studio. Yeah. Get him in the studio. I like that. Yeah. We'll Look in his it. eyes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Should I say? I'm going to say. Yeah. Go if you say. want more of the GG Boxing team, go and follow the GG Boxing Club at GG Boxing Club on Instagram and on Twitter. Mm. And also, we're going. We're looking at going to do a Q and A episode with you, yours truly. No, not no, with you. So we need questions for it. People can send us questions to those either of those accounts, but also you can reach us on our new email address, which is ggboxingclub at crowdnetwork.co.uk. Stick in... we got a hashtag? Ask the Saint on socials. And obviously in the email, just ping the question in. And we're going to load them up. We're going to put you right under, right under pressure. As always, we appreciate every Elite Club member. Yeah. And we want to know, we want to know what their favourite boxing memories are, right? It doesn't have to be about me. Well, I mean, they probably will be. But yeah. We'll skim past them ones. Let's go past other memories. Let's just assume everyone's favourite memories about you. Let's do it, and we're going to stick them in, and we're going to put them in. What we're going to call it? I think. Well, it's going to be sort of the club archives. I yeah. think we should call it. Give it a name. What do you think? The vault. Oh, the vault. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, it's like I'm. I'm pretending I've just come up with that. Yeah, like right there. But it's written on the it's sheet. Written in front of me. <laughs> It's called The Vault. The uh, Vault. Uh, these memories can be anything from biggest walkout, best knockout, biggest rivalries. Send in your favourite memories and we'll look back at these on the show. Get creative, video clips, voice notes, pictures, anything you like. Think outside the box or the ring. Yeah, and if it's about, if it's you got an entry for The Vault about a Polish fighter, you can call it The Pole Vault. That's very good. <laughs> Thank you. But if you want another boxing podcast to listen to, you know what you got to check out, as we know, Boxing News Opening Bell Podcast. The weekly boxing podcast from the world's oldest boxing magazine. We all love the boxing news. Multi-award winning editor and journalist. Friend of the show, Matt Christie. He sits down each and every week and they unpick all the latest in the fight world. Just search for the opening bell in your podcast app. Now. Deck, we are back next Wednesday. As always, do you know who we have? We've got someone you know very well. Someone who's physically fed you before. Ruben Tabaras. <laughs> <laughs> he is the nutrition meister. Can we call him that? He's he's very, very clued up on his nutrition. He's he's launched a new product range to get us all fit and healthy. So he's in here to discuss um, what it takes to be at your ultimate peak, fighting fit, healthy, living clean. See you next week. See you next week. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.